1: Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. I'm super excited for today's guest, Colm Holland, on the show. Colm reveals how you can discover the power to miraculously change the world around you beyond all recognition and for the better. column will tell you the story of his encounter with Paolo Coelho and his best-selling book, The Alchemist, and how discovering the secret in Paolo's novel gave him the insights to achieve true empowerment in his life and to write his book, The Secret of the Alchemist. Welcome, column
2: Thank you, Amy. Uh, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: So can you take a few minutes and just tell us the background to this book because it had me captivated. As soon as I picked up your book, I was captivated by your story.
2: Okay, I'll keep it as brief as I can. If you want the uh, the full version, um, I do actually have it on my website and it's also the prologue to my book The Secret of the Alchemist. So uh, here here goes. I was a fairly lowly middle manager in a publishing company called HarperCollins, which many people have heard of, and I was based in the city the office. It was my job to uh, vet and assess books that were due to be published in our other offices around the world. And one day I got a bunch of manuscripts from California, from Harper, Harper Collins in San Francisco, and I was sifting through them. It was late on a Friday afternoon. And I thought, oh, normally I'd leave it till Monday morning. I'll just have a quick sift. And suddenly out of this pile, there was this uh, cover artwork that hadn't yet been produced it was just a draft and it was literally stapled to the manuscripts. and I stared at it and it was this picture of the shepherd boy it was purple if you google um, the original cover of the alchemist by Paolo Coelho you'll, you'll see that the central figure in the cover it had the pyramids in the background it had the sun and they had the moon and I was thinking alchemy yes and it was called the alchemist and I was, so I'm getting the picture but then the the actual alchemist figure itself had the all seeing eye of god on, on his forehead. And I thought, okay, break the rule, I'm going to throw it into my briefcase, take it home, I'm going to read it on the weekend when I normally spend time with the kids. So that was it. I forgot about it. And then sort of mid-Sunday afternoon, I'm thinking, oh yeah, I've got that book. I wonder, yeah, I've never heard of this guy, let's go and see. So at this point, Paolo Coelho was unknown. I know that's hard to imagine, considering that he's sold 86 million copies of this book <laughs> over, over the last 27 years, and almost everybody who's anybody has heard of him. And um, I thought, well, I'll read this. And I thought, this is going to be a skim read. I'm, I'm a publisher, I skim read, so I can read a page in a matter of seconds and so on. Um, I did not skim read. I was reading pages and rereading pages and going back and then going forward and then rereading. And then I read the whole book in the afternoon. Uh, but it, it did something that just that story touched me. And I'm a hard-nosed publisher. I read a lot of stuff in my time. But I just – I had three thoughts. I thought, this, you know, this is not the best piece of literature. And No, this isn't going to win the, the, the Man Booker Prize. This is, this is not going to you know, get any major literary awards but this is going to be a global bestseller. Hmm. Um, I just knew, I just had that knowing. I just, whether I was, yeah, I think probably I was just the right person in the right place at the right time. And I, so I rang my colleagues in the week and I said, look, um, I know I, for a book like this, I would normally maybe take two, three, 5,000 tops as a, you know, an unknown author, first book in Australia, small market, I said, but I I don't want that mean I want two hundred thousand copies. And my colleague said, "Are you drunk?" That was yeah. His... <laughs> I was
1: going to say they must have thought you had like twelve heads or something.
2: Yeah, yeah. What were those mushrooms that you've been on, column over the weekend? <laughs> ring me when you've when you've come back down. I said, no, no, absolutely. This, and I don't want hardcover. Forget hardcover. Um, this is mass market. This is this is like um, you know a new Agatha Christie, as far as I'm concerned, and. We've, we've got to take it anyway. The rest is history, as they say. Um, Paolo has held the Guinness Book of Records for um, the most uh, copies sold of a single title during the author's lifetime. Um, 70 different languages it's been translated into. It's only ever been beaten in cells by one book, and that is J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. I will take note there, by the way, that both the, both the alchemist and Harry Potter both has have alchemy as their central theme. Just save that thought till later, because we're going to come back to it. So that's the beginning of the story. The the, the end of that particular story is that Paolo came to Australia. We we got him into his first English-speaking literary festival. Portuguese is his first language. He doesn't even write in English. All his books are translated from Portuguese uh, by other people into English, so he was quite nervous. The queue around the block at the Writers' Festival was unheard of. They'd never seen anything like it. The queue from people wanting him to sign his book. And then I I knew that not only was I right, I just thought this is going to go even further than I ever imagined. And on his way home, he said, I want to go, I want to take you out column and um, your wife and and the publicist and her partner. And I I want to um, thank you for uh, believing in my book and and having this vision and and making that phone call that you made. And we had a lovely evening. I came to Sydney just the six of us there. And he had his wife there, Christina, who's delightful. And, um, he said, I've got a gift, I want to give you uh, both. And uh, he pulled out of his pocket, this little little um, jewelry box and, and handed it to uh, Naomi and she opened it and we were all blown away. It was a dress diamond ring worth quite a lot of money. And she was in tears and we were clapping and you can, you can imagine the scene, you know, it was just one of those precious moments. And then he looked at me and I'm thinking, Ooh, okay, uh, gold Rolex. <laughs>
1: Right, I loved this part of your story. How shallow
2: was I? Uh, I'm human. Please forgive me. And, right. and um
1: which I think we would have all been. We would have been like, "Oh my God, <laughs> what's coming for me?" Right? Like I'm, I'm the one who I found me. this, gu- right, this diamond me. in the Come rough, right? Yeah.
2: So he said, so um, he has his great sense of humor and he said, so he said, he said to Naomi, you know, look, um, I, I asked my, you know, God and my wife what I should give her and they both suggested this. And he said the same thing to me. He said, I asked God and my wife what I should give you, Colum, uh, and God told me that I should spend a day of my life dedicated to performing my alchemy magic on your behalf so that whatever you want to come to pass will come to pass. The only condition is you've just got to decide what you want. And that was it. Mm. And I'm thinking, <laughs> well, right now, oh yeah, gold Rolex, that'd be cool. I mean, yeah, there's tick. Take... Right. Anyway, so cut a long story short. Uh, he flew off back to uh, wherever it was he was living at the time. I think he was already abroad. His, his native home was Brazil. He's written a dozen or, or more books. Um, he's been on the bestseller list, New York Times bestseller list, forever. I think he's still on there. Uh, it's broken all, all those records. So this, was the, this is the thing. And I know this is going to be your next question, Amy. So do you want to ask the question or shall I preempt it? Uh-oh. Shall I preempt the question?
1: You can preempt it. I wonder, go ahead.
2: (laughs) Why did The Alchemist, the book, the original novel, become a bestseller? Because that was the question that I took away from that evening. Because I was still scratching my head. I was still saying to myself, there's been a thousand books, the minimum of fables and of instruction on how to listen to the universe, how to obey your heart, how to believe in your dreams, how to become self-aware, how to find that inner power, and and so on and so on and so on. Not one of them has ever sold 85 million copies. Mm -hmm. So, So what is it? So my book, in a way, was born out of that one question, why? Why is this book been well, successful? And have you talked, like, Amy? You've read it. Let me ask you just quickly: um, what? When you what was your takeaway from, from? I know it was a long time ago, but can you remember any feelings oh, you had off the back I, of it?
1: I, I, I actually don't remember. When you when I started reading your book, I thought I should have started reading this earlier so I could go back and read The Alchemist <laughs> and then read your book because okay. I don't have any recollection. And I think, too, when you read a book like that, it's a book I probably should go back to because my guess is how I would think about it now would be so different. I think I was it was in 93, maybe when it was the book came out. So I'm not going to say how old I was, but I wasn't. (laughs) um, I, I, I was probably a little young to really appreciate. And I think I actually read it in college. So I was probably a little young to even fully um, incorporate and appreciate the depth and the intric- interest, um, intricacies of. Amy,
2: I'm sure you read it in high school. You can't be old enough to have read it in. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing: I say to people quite frequently, "Do you remember The Alchemist? Did you read that?" Yeah, yeah. So tell me, what did you have a takeaway? And they go, "Yeah." I said, "Well, what was the takeaway?" They say, oh. Yeah, I remember it, it, it really encouraged me to believe that I could achieve my dreams, my ambitions, my desires. And I go, that's amazing, great. Do you remember anything else about it? Oh, no, I gave it to a friend or I didn't ever. Did you ever reread it? No, I didn't reread it. Some people have read it a million times, by the way. though, mm-hmm. the, the, the majority haven't and they, they've, they've passed it on. So I, I made the conscious decision after that evening with Paula that I did want to know... Is there something in that original story that um, has a deeper benefit or could have a deeper benefit to my life? Because I'll tell you what happened after I, that evening. The two guys who were possibly um, preventing my uh, ability to further my career in the company were both promoted out of the company and went on to hire roles in, in other publishing companies, which was great for them. And I got moved up to a, a much more senior executive position. Uh, but the other thing that began to happen is that the, I did start to to do what Paolo encouraged me. I did begin to think, what do I really want? I was 40 years old. So, you know, I was that midlife crisis point like pivot point where if I don't do something like now, then it's probably going to get too late if I'm not careful. I don't believe that, actually. I don't believe it's ever too late. But at the time, that was my sentiment. So I just thought, okay, what do I really want? What I really want is to run my own business. I actually want to be an entrepreneur. Um, And I thought, you know, maybe this is the moment. But there was this fear, this iron grip. The moment I ever began to think that I could possibly resign And take that immense risk financially, particularly, but also from a talent point of view. Did I actually have the ability? Did I have the talent to do that uh, and start up on my own? And um, for some reason, the more I read The Alchemist, the more I began to discover what was really, what Paolo was really bringing to my consciousness through that story. And as I began to study it, I found this new, newfound courage. And my heart, I just felt that my inner self was getting stronger and I could move forward, and so I took the plunge. And when I took the plunge, I kind of threw myself on on what I didn't really think of at the time, but what I look back now is I kind of threw myself on the universe. And I was hanging on to a promise in the book, The Secret of the Alchemist, which was that when we follow our dreams, The whole universe will conspire to make it happen. And I'll be honest, that was about all I had to hang my hat on at that point. Within, it
1: seems like so much and not nearly enough. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like it's like the dichotomy of both of those things.
2: I in two years, I founded. I went from there and I founded with some business partners that I found along the way. Um, the second largest digital ad agency in Australia. We had 85 staff. We had some of the biggest clients in Australia, including Toyota, including the 2000 Olympics, and and, and the list goes on. It was a phenomenal success. And I remember going into the bathroom one, one afternoon in the office, and I just stared in the mirror looking at myself, which I highly recommend, by the way, guys, if you haven't done that. And don't start messing with your hair. <laughs> looking to your own eyes... And ask yourself the question, who am I? How did I get here and where have I come from? And it's a very sobering exercise. And when I did that, I could instantly, I, I could put a pin in my timeline using Facebook jargon. I could put a pin in my timeline, which was that, that night I met Paolo Caleb. So I had been on a spiritual journey, Amy. It wasn't like I became self-enlightened instantly when I met Paolo. I, I, As you know from when you read my book, I'd actually been already doing quite a lot of work um, prior to that. But there was a, that moment in time, and if you know the story of the alchemist, um, it is the story of a shepherd boy who um, is has a dream when he's caring for his sheep in an abandoned chapel in Spain. Um, it's set in a, in a mythical time, really. And um, in the dream, a, a child, a female child, actually, who says to him, you should go um, to, to the pyramids because that's where you're going to find your treasure. And twice he has the dream. The, the dream ends just at the point when he is going to be shown where the treasure is. And that means, that, of course, he has to go on the journey. And the journey, as I discovered, is actually, um, thanks to uh, dear friend Joseph Campbell, of course, it's the hero's journey. It's... Right. Um, Go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to say, what's so interesting to me in the book is how you you weave in, and this is what really resonated with me, so much of Jungian psychology. And that That, I think, when people think about spirituality, they often separate it in so many ways Mm -hmm. from psychology, but it is so integrated. Oh, yes.
2: Uh, Totally woven together. You can't, you cannot, you don't have a fabric to work with unless you have the two woven, in my opinion. Yes, Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. I did think at one point I almost thought, should I title the book something like um, Carl Jung and the Alchemist? (laughs) (laughs) Or... um, what would Carl Jung have said had he been around to read the you know the alchemist and so on. And there's no question in my mind that either Paolo was very cognizant of of Jung's theories and if you if you turn to the bibliography at the back of my book you'll see there's almost a page of of works that I used um, and studied um, from Carl Jung that um, helped me in my understanding of what was going on um, in the uh, alchemist. so, And for people who
1: don't know Carl Jung, Mm. Carl Jung is sort of one of Freud's, he was kind of in Freud's initial group and then kind of branched off into his own thinking of more of a collective experience of consciousness. Mm. And um, that's just like the tip of the iceberg. But can I ask you, what exactly is alchemy? Like, how would you define it? (laughs)
2: Um, the problem alchemy has got is that it's like it's like sand in your hand. It's it's got this nasty tendency of slipping through your fingers. It's got this other nasty tendency of of hiding in plain sight, and it's got this other difficulty, which is when you try and describe it, um, you fail miserably usually on a regular basis. Well, I certainly do. In, in introduction to one of one of the editions of the alchemist, Paolo says something very similar. There's sort of three kinds of alchemists. There are those who um, get completely obsessed about the symbols and the cryptic, the cryptic messages of alchemy and the laboratory experiments, and end up and end up producing no magic and no miracles at all. There are those who think they know what alchemy is, and give it a go, but then when they're challenged to describe it, it's very hard to describe. And I think I put myself in that camp. And the third kind are those who are just alchemists from birth. They. They just know what it is and just do it, and they don't even need to talk about it.
1: So what does it mean, then, to be an alchemist? An
2: alchemist is somebody, in my definition, then, when you read my, my book, The Secret of the Alchemist, an alchemist is somebody who's prepared, and I'm going to use alchemy jargon, because it need, I need the metaphor of alchemy to, to uh, work with. An alchemist is somebody who actually believes in transformation these are the symbols that they use, They're the ability to turn lead into gold, for example, they called it transmutation. There was a, a, a theory that went right back to ancient Egypt, to the, to the Egyptian god Thoth who, who wrote this thing called the Emerald Tablet. Um, this is all in in alchemy theory. And the, the whole point of becoming an alchemist was that you can transform something from one type of matter into another. Um, In a way, um, the ability to create gold without having to go mining for it. You could actually produce it from lead in the laboratory. And then the thing, what you actually do is you don't actually produce gold in the laboratory. You produce this thing called the Philosopher's Stone. And the Harry Potter fans will know what I'm talking about. So you produce the Philosopher's Stone. And that stone then has uh, magic qualities, a, a little slither of the stone can make you look young forever i haven 't tried that yet, as you can tell those of you who can 't mm-hmm. see me, but if you look at my photograph on the back of the book um, i haven 't achieved that one yet. Um, what it can also do is is create wealth and and health and other empowering things so that 's the, the philosophy so an alchemist in in the modern times in the the kind of alchemy that I practice. And power Kalo practices is that alchemy, as understood by Carl Jung, is that inner journey of transformation to discover the true self. Carl Jung called it individuation. Mm-hmm. And the self that you discover, he called the new self. And why would we bother? Why, why would we go and make that inner journey? And lots of people have written talk and still do talk about this inner journey. Um so, uh, there was a, a guy, a priest called um, Thomas Merton, who uh, wrote wrote extensively and, and was uh, one of the people who re- resurrected the concept of the dark night of the soul. That's the beginning of the journey. The dark night of the soul is this mortification process where we shed off and shed off all of the superficial things that gave us give us meaning and give us identity because those are false things. So so transformation begins with a shedding. Or, or a, a reformation of the ego. Not destroying the ego, but a reformation of the ego that needs to be brought to something of power rather than destruction.
1: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments.
0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: And, and just to be clear on this, this isn't an easy process, right? I mean, it's painful. It's very difficult to look inside of yourself to acknowledge the parts of yourself that we consciously try to disavow.
2: Oh, absolutely, Amy. I couldn't have put it better. Um, We all have, according to Carl Jung, an an unconscious self. It's the unconscious where our dreams live. When we go to sleep at night and we have lucid dreams, they're coming from our unconscious, and they're either good or bad or whatever. But also in our waking life, the unconscious is not asleep. The unconscious is particularly active in a way that most of us are just not aware of Um, until something happens. And in my case, the, the reason why I wanted to pursue the journey into the unconscious and find out what was going on there was that I felt I was being quite destructive in my relationships. As a young adult, I was 18 at the time, which is quite young to be aware of these things. I know some people say, I've got very high emotional intelligence, I wish. (laughs) wouldn't that be nice? But I had enough awareness to know that I didn't want to be this person I was manifesting. Um, I did not like what I saw. And through a sequence of events, you can read the story in my book in detail, um, I actually came to a point where for the first time in my life, I was aware that there was a love that existed within the universe both materially and and immaterially, both at a soul level but also at a practical level in day-to-day life that loved me more than I loved myself and that my unconscious by, by just natural, by default didn't know that, that it was loved, that I was loved. So the self that I was manifesting out of the unconscious was a self that was full of self pity was was believed he was a victim that was full of pain and as consequently was full of anger and it didn't take much for that anger to erupt and and i was ashamed of it always and um i really just wanted to fix it and so i i did i did get help and um you know, people like you, Amy, are able to help people with this stuff, I know. So right. everybody listening, if, if I'm ringing bells for you, call Amy. <laughs> <laughs> Please, don't try and do this on your own. Um, it's not. Right. I don't recommend it. Um,
1: yeah, I was actually going to ask that because it wasn't totally clear in the book how much of this you had done mm. just through your own self-exploration um, and how much of it was with with someone who could help yeah, you. Yeah, so
2: I did The Dark Night of the Soul. I deliberately crazy looking back, gosh, I can't believe I did it. Really. I must have been really huge risk. I actually went into my own car. I could have gone crazy. I could have gone mad. I mean, I could have become so introspective, but what I discovered, but I did ask love to come with me. I mm. did ask unconditional love, whatever name you want to give it, God, spirit, doesn't matter. It has a personality and the personality is unconditional love. And I invited that love to come with me. And that was the love that ended up having the conversation with my unconscious. And what I discovered was there was this inner child who, living in my unconscious, a bit like Harry Potter. I was locked in a cupboard. Again, you can, <laughs> you can read that story. But that, that, those events in my very, very early life when I was a toddler had a lifelong impact. And mm. for those of us who are feeling what I call unempowered, and by unempowered, what I mean uh, is not in control of our emotions most of the time. Or we have our emotions so tightly screwed down that um, we think we're in control, but they, they have this nasty habit of just breaking out uncontrollably at, at the most inconvenient moment. You know, the, the, the alchemists call that the, you know, facing the dragon. If you don't face the dragon, the dragon's going to appear anyway. Mm -hmm. And the older you get and events in life like bereavement and grief and trauma will just resurrect the dragon.
1: Well, and I remember, and I think you could probably, you probably remember so clearly like your moment of facing the dragon. Mm -hmm. I so clearly remember my, I mean, it really feels like it was like a pivotal moment Mm -hmm. where all this unconscious garbage just came to a head and I I remember being in my car on the side of the road and needing to pull over. It wasn't in therapy that that happened. It Mm -hmm. was because of therapy. It was, but, but it really was this moment of like, there it is. And then I could have this awareness of, of it, of it. So I didn't respond out of it anymore.
2: Yes. I couldn't have put that better. Amy, exactly. I got help from a guy called Dr. Frank Lake, who sadly passed now. Um, he introduced. Oh, maybe you
1: did mention him in the book.
2: Yeah, I do. I dedicated. You do. I yeah, he, do. He's, yeah. yeah. Okay. That's okay. Um, that came in at the next phase, though. So, after reaching rock bottom, um, I then knew I was. I would well serendipitously synchronicity brought Dr. Frank Lake into my life, because what the alchemists believe is, once you've gone through that black phase, once you've reached the place of nothing, then that is the place of real treasure. That's when you can begin to build an authentic life. That's the place where you can build an integrated life. Because all the dross has been burned away. You're not dealing with all the, all the distractions and all the, the masks and all the other stuff that we've built on around ourselves through the years. So he, he, took me, he introduced me to primal therapy or rebirthing, which was super popular back in the 70s. John Lennon went to California and, and did a whole stint and said that it definitely helped him because he was struggling with lots of stuff from his childhood as well. Um, so I went through that. What I discovered was this in the child, and, and I, out of the, out of nowhere, the memories of the pain, and the wounds that I had uh, experienced, uh, in in early childhood, were exposed. And I was um, fortunate to be surrounded by people who continually reminded me that love can heal, those wounds, and love did heal those wounds because I invited love to do it, and so the pain. Of, of those wounds began to dissipate, not straight away, but slowly mm-hmm. over the following years. And the alchemists call this the white phase. And in the story of the alchemist, for those of you who know the book and can remember parts of it, um, you remember that Santiago the shepherd boy on his journey to go and find his treasure ends up in a thing called the crystal shop. And if you're reading this book cold and you don't know the the art of alchemy and why this book is full of, full of it, is what's he? Why, why would Paolo use the analogy of a, of a glass-cut crystal shop? In, you know, what's that about? Well, it's the white phase, because what he does, he starts to clean and clean the crystal. And as a result of cleaning the crystal, the shop becomes very prosperous, and he leaves the shop eventually with quite a bit of gold in his pocket. In other words, by cleansing the true self... He comes away from that with an enormous reward, and the reward is a renewed self. And that's the renewed self that Carl Jung talks about that we that we need to discover What through his theory of psychoanalysis uh, helped all his patients with. This is the journey he took them on. He just didn't call it alchemy. Carl Jung was a student of alchemy. He wrote books on it. You, you can still buy them online, um, Carl Jung on, on alchemy um Carl Jung on synchronicity <laughs> um it's all there so
1: he was really one of the first spiritual teachers he didn't get he did not get a whole lot of credit Carl Jung I no,
2: feel not like was... no. no not from the psychology community no not from no he does from the shamanic community of course and there's this also there's now this left this residue of what I, a residue of Carl Jung, as I call it which is which is what pop Jung um we all talk about archetypes and you Google archetypes and right. we were all playing out set number of archetypes. Nonsense. He never said that at all. Sorry to disillusion everybody, but there isn't an archetype of the wizard. Um, and there isn't an archetype of, of the, um, the helper, the hero. Um, it, it, everybody has their own archetype. And according to Carl Jung, an archetype is a manifestation of something that is basic to all homo sapiens it's part of being human, and it's the part of our humanity that, according to Carl Jung's theory, is connected to the rest of the universe. So even inanimate matter is also part of the archetype. The archetype lives within that. It also lives within us. Uh, the ancient alchemists called it the prima materia. It's that glue that whatever it is, whether you, it's, it can be manifested or not. What's really fascinating, and this is a whole other subject, and in my bibliography I recommend some books you can read on this, but the guys who are studying quantum physics are coming to exactly the same conclusion.
1: I know. I need to have some people on my show to talk well, about. Oh, I can recommend I've been somebody saying this, after, this for yeah. a while. <laughs> that would be great. I will. So let me ask we – just, we're just about wrapping up mm. here, but let me ask you this story, this question – one, because in the end of the book, you talk about that we all have an alchemist who will show up in our lives at some point, mm. and it and it's our job to notice when they show up mm-hmm. and to accept it, to accept it or not. But they only show up once. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm. how do we know when they show up? What does that look like? And do you believe that Paulo was your alchemist?
2: Uh, yes. Yes and yes. <laughs> Put simply, um, in a nutshell, you will know if you're, on, if you're doing the great work, as the alchemist called, you'll know. Um, listeners listening now, you know whether you're doing the work or you're not doing the work. If you're doing the work, then all the, all the power of the universe is, is with you. The ancestors are with you. The spirit guides are with you. uh, Whatever, the angels are with you. They're all with you. Whatever whatever you're open to, they're with you. And one of the things that that the universe will do is that when the moment is right, and I can tell you what the moment is, this is how you will know when the alchemist is coming to your life. And I apologize in advance if anybody's listening to this and I'm suddenly now the alchemist in your life. I, I apologize in advance because this is important. You know it's the right moment because you've achieved the point where you kind of become content with where you've arrived to. Oh, I've been getting therapy for X number of years. Oh, I have kind of got my life in order now. I'm making good money with my business, or I'm, you know, I'm quite happy with my relationships. But it's okay. It's better than it was, but it, yeah, but it's not really. I, I still know it's not really where I should be. There is more that I could do. I, I could actually become like an alchemist myself and become a change maker in the world around me. And we, we fear becoming that change activist in our lives and, and in those around us. The alchemist comes at that point, and if you follow the story of the alchemist with Santiago again, what you'll discover is that he comes right at that point And he says to Santiago, he rides in on his horse, dressed in black with his sabre. Why? Because actually this is a really scary moment in a way because you are in danger of not fulfilling your true destiny. You are in danger Mm. of stopping partway along the journey and the alchemist's role. And you can be, any one of us can be an alchemist for other people as well. I'm not saying that this isn't something you can join. This is not a club. You know, we don't meet on a Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock every week. It um, doesn't exist. Um, it's, it's, it's something that, that you belong to because we are humans and we're, we're in the universe. But So when Paolo came to me, that's exactly the point I was at. I was quite successful. I was in a great relationship with my, with my family, and it's all always good. But I was really deeply discontent about my own and not having achieved my real ambitions. And that's the point at which The Alchemist comes. What's ironic, though, and I talk about this in my story, um, a guy called Dr. Wayne Dyer, I'm sure many of you have read, he, he actually rang me in my office right at this point that I was at in my life, and he said, I want you to do the alchemy that you did for Paolo Kahlo for me with my new book called Real Magic, which I just blew me away that he even rang me. Um, but, you know, he was keen. He'd heard the story of what I did for Paolo so what, that was a big awakening for me. That was I was I the alchemist for Paulo as well. Was this a mutual? Mm. You no. Know? Hmm. And if you look at my life since, yeah, I've been the alchemist for lots of people. Um, I just helped um, a big start, well, a very small startup when I met them in California. I just they've just sold their business for millions, and I came into their life at the point where they'd almost given up thinking they could ever sell the business. And what I offered in that situation was not necessarily my amazing business acumen, because I don't believe I actually have you know, incredible business acumen. But what I did bring was my passion, my belief in the power of the universe, and my belief that these guys were going to be successful. I just had a knowing this was going to happen. And so I got involved, and I helped them. I encouraged them along the way. And just this last year, they sold, and it's a great success story. And, and during that time, I was doing my alchemy magic. I, I'm not going to talk about that in this session, Amy. But if people read my book, I do have some exercises, some things that you can do. So if you read, if you feel you've reached that point, and the alchemists called it the red phase. So mm-hmm. having gone through the black cleansed and empowered during the white, you've you've still got to keep going. That's not the end. The final phase is the red phase. You've got to send your fire, your passion that you now have to nourish the soul of the world, as Paolo Kahlo calls it in in the Alchemist. We can either choose to nourish the soul of the world or diminish the soul of the world. And those that choose to nourish the soul of the world are... Alchemists. So if you're already doing that, welcome to the club that you can't become a member of.
1: <laughs> wow, this was this was awesome. Thank you. If people are interested in hearing more or knowing more about you, where can they find you?
2: If you want a copy of the book, it's on Amazon. Just type in Colum Holland. I think I'm the only Colum Holland on Amazon um it's the book's called the secret of the alchemist you can pre-order it now if you go to google um you can also find my audiobook um which is also available now otherwise i'm on facebook Column holland page colin yeah all, all the things you would expect to find
1: and all of it will be in my show notes oh thank you thank you thank you so much colin for your time and thank you amy inspirational story and for the book and for bringing the alchemist into the world really
2: Bless you. Bless you, Amy. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Just a little quick add-on to the end of today's podcast, if anybody is interested. This new information came out after we recorded, so I wanted to share it with you all. In conjunction with his new book, The Secret of the Alchemist, the companion book to Paulo Coelho's epic, The Alchemist, On July 31st, author Calm Holland will be virtually gathering in Galstonbury, Somerset, as hundreds gather online to celebrate Calm's new book that reveals the power of unconditional love to transform lives. Calm lives close to Galstonbury, and what better place to launch The Secret of the Alchemist? There will be a live webcam of the tour in the session, to remind everyone of the positive energy that emanates from this sacred site. Calm would be thrilled if you could join him and like-minded friends in this interactive gathering. During this session, they will be forming a collective bond and transmit unconditional love to nourish the soul of the world. It is something that the world desperately needs right now. There are only 500 Zoom places available, so sign up soon. You can head on over to Calm's website to do so. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.